Hello and welcome back to the three C's with the Cross River Gorilla Project. My name's Kira and today we're going to be talking about conservation and what possible effects that conservation can have on communities surrounding the areas of which we aim to conserve. We are joined today by Dr. Oshin McNamara, who has been a member of the Cross River Gorilla Project Committee since the beginning. However, before we speak to him, I would like to talk a little bit about conservation and what it is and what the aims of conservation generally are. So the aims of conservation is to protect the protecting species, their habitats and ecosystems from excessive rates of extinction. If we look at species specifically within the Lebialum Highlands in Cameroon, there are many different endemic species that are considered endangered that are found here, such as the iconic Cross River Gorilla, which is one of the mo- which is the most endangered of all of the great apes, and was once actually thought to be extinct. However, this is just one example of many of the other endemic species that are found within this area that require conservation in hopes to sub- in hopes to keep them alive and thriving within their ecosystems. And now I'd like to introduce Dr. Oshin McNamara, who can hopefully help us further our understanding of conservation. Hi Oshin, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and what you've been up to and your role with the Cross River Gorilla Project? Sure, sure. Well, I first got involved right at the beginning, actually, with the Cross River Gorilla Project. Um, I've known John Daniels many years, many, many decades. In fact, the first time I met him was actually when I was um, a PhD student working in the Ridley Building. It was then the um, Department of Plant Biology. Um, it's undergone many sort of changes since then. And uh, I was helping earning a little bit of extra money in the evenings with a evening course on mushrooms and toadstools. And um, John and his wife Annie were, were there as one of the, uh, the people that helped. And so that's how I got to know him anyway. Known for being a good uh, friend for, for many years. Um, my background, if you go to work in biology, is scientific. Um, I basically, or at least was professionally, um, a botanist and more, more so a microbiologist and mycologist, in fact. Although I've worked with bacteria as well, but mainly, mainly a, a microbiologist. Um, I got involved because John had actually gone out to Cameroon as part of a wonderful family present, as you may know. And um, over the over a few years, immediately, he, he decided he really wanted to do something back in to sustain involvement and And originally there were only three people at first meeting. It was John, um, Kelly, who the, the marketing expertise and the wonderful thing. And myself, uh, mainly because I think John and I two reasons. A, I was a biologist, but also I worked for many years in universities. It's not just a scientific background, even though it's not something to do with conservation. So I'm not, um, I'm really a lay person in terms of conservation. I've come to it late in the day, just in the last few years. But I've always been, I suppose, really from the age of three, interested in natural history. So, you know, ever since my, my father was, and my mum read me 
if it's got some variables and, and pulled by something like that. So I've always had that in my soul. And when I gave up my, my professional work and retired, um, that seemed the obvious place to get you know, put those energies. To get stuck into them. But my university background really was only about 10 years in terms of academic research. Following on from that, um, I developed, I think, a skill set which is useful to the project. And that is, I spent about 25 years being involved in regional economic development. So in terms of putting the knowledge base of the university to good effect in terms of its partnership with all sorts of organizations, private sector, public sector, voluntary sector, in the northeast of England, and also across Europe. So I, I developed strategic partnerships with universities, and I became a director of um, research and innovation in Northumbria University. So it's that outward-facing dimension of universities with the world at large. Um, you, you, um, it's not the knowledge you learn, it's just the, the approach you learn. You develop the skills and the processes and the experience. And, you know, you're always learning. Um, yeah, you're always learning. <laughs> so, you know, I think uh, really what happens to me after that, um, whilst I had a scientific background, I knew at the time virtually nothing really about conservation, certainly about the public. Um, but very quickly, John and the colleagues developed the partnership with Newcastle University, both undergraduates and the members of staff. And they're the new experts yourselves, you know, the first cohort, the CRIP, they're the experts, you know, backed up by, you know, of course, by Alison and some staff members. Essentially, the students, such as yourselves, know a lot more than yourselves. And there are saying, John is somewhere, he's learned a lot in the last five Yeah, I mean, you both had like, we all have different complementary roles. hundred percent. I your your role seems uh, very broad, to be honest, with everything you've done and the experiences that you have. Like, I think you bring so much to like the Crossroads Grilla Project just from the experiences you have with running so many different things. It's incredible. Um, I'll do this one thing just before I leave that for the background bit. My my main contribution so far. Um, was to write the um, strategic plan, basically what it is, to get the um, charity commission status. Uh, yeah. Because it really is great complex and it involves the best part of a year in, on and off. A huge amount uh, of work to get it. So, but that's yeah, usually a huge uh, milestone. We had to wait a year and a half before we got it in the end. It was a very slow process. Um, but it basically meant really defining getting into this part of really what we're about. But I didn't realise, I didn't realise how difficult it was to set up a charity. But particularly if something of our breadth of objectives, you can't just sort of say, you know, I want to become a charity because I've raised money and then give it back to people working on the ground in Cameroon. Yeah. That's not charity. (laughs) You have to to show what added value you bring. You know, okay, we're working in Erudet, but how do we, how do we enhance what we're doing? Oh, I 100% know what you mean because um, a family friend of mine has a charity, but it's a, it's a gymnastics charity, but we've jumped through 
so many loopholes to try and get the charity status for that so I completely understand how difficult it is to actually get the status of being a charity um but yeah no um I have a few questions more based on conservation now thank you for your background um so what in your opinion what is the importance of conservation not just in the Lebanese highlands but Lebanese highlands even but globally yeah. like what what would what's your opinion on just how important conservation is well i think i would really bring it to a sort of philosophical level really it's not just i mean a lot of what's said about i mean conservation is such a broad um term anyway, and I, we're really using it in the, in the context of um, uh, nature conservation. Yeah, conservation of nature. It's not physical, yeah. nor, you know, human antiquities and things like that. There's all sorts of aspects which are, you know, in areas which are not really covered. Um, in terms of that, it's more than just conserving our resources so that mankind has those resources for future generations to benefit from. It's more fundamental. We are just one uh, huge number of species of organisms in the world. We have no more rights than another. Essentially, I you know? yeah. And so, you know, and that's why some people find it you know, when there's conservation raised about, particularly about um, invertebrates or even microorganisms and things like that. Um, fungi, for instance, a good example. You know, why bother if we can't eat them? You know, if it, as long as it get rid of the poisonous ones to keep the edible ones. But there's more to it than that. Is what is existence on this planet? So I think it, it's. Uh, you have to accept there's always been extinction, of course. So there's nothing wrong with natural with extinction. extinction. But uh, you wouldn't have extinction rebellion if it wasn't happening at an alarming rate. Yes, hundred percent. It's fine to have natural extinction patterns, but to have extinction uh, at such an alarming rate as we're seeing at the minute, it's that's when conservation really comes into balance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. So that's, um, that's, that's, that's what it's all about to me, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Um, do, do you find that uh, there's a knock-on effect with conservation in, like, the community within areas, like, in the Lebanon, like, in the Lebanon Highlands? Do you, have you seen knock-on effect or anything like that? Do you mean negative or positive? Do you mean, I, I got, you mean negative? Both I think. either. Yeah. But either effects, because there will be both. I, I would imagine there's both positive and negative effects of because there's positive and negative effects of doing nearing of everything. Yeah. Um, because well, both. Well, I've, I've had uh, for a start. I've only had secondhand experience, really. I mean, through John yeah. and, and Louis and Meredith, their experiences, really. So I've not really had it. But um, I mean, potentially, I know that aware there are negative potential negative side effects of conservation because of those. Who see, you know, deforestation a means of making money. You know, some of these people are starving, very low wage. How can they feed their families? And you know, why should someone from another country come along, or even their own country, come along and say, you know, we want to preserve this forest because they can preserve all sorts of other creatures and plants can't survive? You know, I'm a human being. I have a right to live. So there's a huge um, tension there potentially. Um, and of course, maybe answering one of your next questions in terms of countering that would be, um, and, and this is a key part of um, our project ambition, is to develop sustainable um, 
commercial activities. So you have sustainable agribusinesses or even other sorts of business. So they're not going to lose their livelihood, you know, because we are potentially yeah. potentially affected livelihood. And indeed, as a source of food, as we found with the um, some of the recent um, awful um, military problems with people being communities being dispersed and uh, and people fleeing to the forests, and indeed some some of the uh, <coughs> um, people themselves causing a lot of the human harm um, have been sort of uh, going back to eating more bush meat and killing things, which is which is tragic too, and and destroying parts of the of the habitat. So um, yeah, there is a there's a great tension there. And it's hard to get the balance right, but um, there are ways in which we can, if you like, shift the balance to make it much more viable and sensible for them to go along with the conservation efforts that all sorts of people are trying to make. Okay. Whilst looking at um, some research for conservation, I found a quote from Lewis Andre, and he was saying that it's important to protect the people in the community and feed the people in the community for them to mm. not. For them to basically help with the conservation so mm. as i'm i'm aware and you're aware as well with the cross river grill project one of our main goals is to educate people on conservation and how we can aid in it um do we so following up from that do you mm. know what techniques not only in conservation itself the techniques that we use over there to conserve things but the techniques that we're using um to try and educate people i know we're, we're we're getting there. We're trying to get resources out there, um, but do they? Would you say that that would be beneficial? Is to get the resources for education and the techniques we use currently are they sustainable? Would you say for conservation out there? Uh, but I mean, secondhand, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. You probably know a lot more than I do, but uh, about techniques for, for education. There's also. I, mean, I, I thought when you when you phrase question about. It needs to be conservation itself, but maybe come on to that later. But in terms of education, um, I mean, when we set up our project, um, there are a number of dimensions to it, two particular ones. One is educating people around Levy and Highlands themselves, particularly starting with the young children, because that's the future generation for a start, and they've got the more like, open minded, malleable brains to, to absorb all of that. It's much harder with an adult doing something for years and years to change their, their way of life. You know, it's impossible to change that. So you can you can start the ball rolling with family, certainly. So um, and some of the education has to be you know, at a pretty sort of fundamental basic level um, in terms of how you intervene. And and some of the work that the students have done in the last six months have been fantastic in developing those materials. You know, for for the developing world outside, including the UK. So they've got a greater understanding, but also fund of greater significance. Um, if we can develop, I know we're really at a crossroads that's almost about to do this, translating all those um, learning resources that have been filed in the last four to five months um, for the local population. And if we can do that, I mean, that, that can make a fundamental change in culture. It's not going to happen overnight. We can really yeah, start. It's going to be a, a small little snowball rolling along and getting bigger and bigger. So um, that approach, I mean, in terms of within that in great detail, I'm no expert really at all, and none of us are really. Um, but the um, Bexley and others have done a great job in terms of um, 
making some very significant progress. And it is what's incredible is you know working with enthusiastic undergraduates and graduates is the output of their work is a professional standard. You know, virtually self-trained. You know, it's amazing, um, and it shows what you can do with with with, with um, working as a good team. You know, you get that confidence. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I've only been working with the Cross River Grill project for for my dissertation, as you're aware, but it it just it it just makes you feel a little bit better about yourself when you go to bed at night knowing that you're actually helping something as well. Um, so to follow up from that, then, yeah. would you say that in order to make conservation successful globally, um, it's all to do with the education of the young people in the areas that we're trying to conserve? Would you would you say that's a reasonable conclusion to? Among well, other things. No, no, I mean that 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 is critical. Um, maybe it's time to bring in the might be one of your supplementary questions on, on your on, on your list of things, and that is unfortunately what what is more important and much harder, particularly in Africa, is the political side of it, because um, but people can influence that from the ground anyway, and so. Yeah. I mean, I'll maybe maybe pick one example. Um, you may well be fully aware of this particular um, example. I mean, the greatest country in the world, as far as I'm aware, as I'm not I'm not, I'm not an expert in conservation. I've just leave what I've done through day to day living, really. But uh, it's Costa Rica, and it really is. I mean, it has been labelled as Eden of the world, um, a because it's got fantastic biodiversity, but most importantly. Um, it is the most progressive country in the world in developing sustainable policies, environmental policies. And I had the fortune, but my first, when I first started talking to John, I'd never been to a rainforest, but I happened to go in, in um, 2017, only nearly four years ago, I went uh, on a small group holiday just for two weeks, but it was, it was mind blowing. Um, but what I didn't realize is that the country, I mean, it doesn't have a, an army, Right? So it's a peaceful country. Um, and it, in 2015, it made a um, political pledge to be carbon neutral by 2021. 20, not 51, 21. And it, at this point in time, it's 98, 98% renewable energy. Although there are caveats there, as far as they're not what they count as renewable energy and things like that. They're, they're not counting some of the carbon through uh, planes coming in from other countries and things like that. So it's, it's, it's you know, uh, experts would say, well, you're not, you're not going for 100% um, carbon neutral, yeah. but you're getting there. I mean, they are 98% renewable energy, mainly from there. But all of their policies, including huge emphasis, for example, on tourism. And when we first started um, uh, the River Gorilla Project, um, that was one of my main focal points was to develop, you know, we were thinking in terms of getting modules where people could could study for the four hour journey into the forest. And, you know, you need to have somewhere you all stay and work. And a lot of our energies in the first six months were on that side of things. It soon became impossible because of all sorts of other um, societal changes, really, um, political changes. <clears throat> um, but it really is um, a key sort of part of... Uh, 
not the train at all, really, <coughs> of um, developing sustainability. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is, you know, just conserve everything be okay. So there, there is many complications to conservation. Yeah. Um, in, so just to summarize, uh, just to conclude now, would you say, what, in your opinion, what is the most important thing for the general public in the UK to understand mm. about conservation? So we've discussed about how difficult it is actually to conserve and how everything starts from the ground up. So what can people here and our listeners do to help with the efforts of conservation around the world? It, specifically with our project ourselves or other projects what would you say they can do to help yeah first thing is if possible become active in some sort of way in doing various projects like you are being active you know for, for, for what you're doing um because being active can do tangible useful things on the ground but it also helps you understand what some of the issues are and some of them are very tricky problems that there's no easy solution because if you want to do certain things as we said earlier it may impact on the lifestyle and and, and uh, um, futures of, of the people living in the Libyan highlands and so forth so it's hard to get a perfect balance of all of that um, secondly the more people that are aware a it's you know it's contagious across the world you can spread that that, that enthusiasm and so forth but that also builds up the populace in terms of political change now, um, unfortunately, not every country is like Costa Rica. And, you know, in many parts of Africa, there isn't any sensible democracy and Cameroon is, 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 is suffering badly. And yet that is not appreciated even properly by UK government. And of course, the change to um, funding of, you know, in um, international development is, is, is obviously a retrograde step, a really shocking step that we've just experienced announced in the last recent months in federal but the more people like ourselves who are aware and the more people we can influence through education whether they be young or any age um, the more the time that pressure will filter its way to politicians and it, it, things can happen change very quickly um, and we've seen in the last few years yeah um, <laughs> and it's a positive um constructive way of getting involved um i mean obviously there are I mean, come back to extinction rebellion I, I agree with a lot of their philosophies and points but they can actually be counterproductive in some of the methods they use but if we can all be involved in constructive yeah. methods that is a huge buttress to everything else and that ultimately we listen to more if we listen to more of our politicians who say, well, I'm going to do this and I will make, try and make this bit of difference. And if that just involves putting your hand in your pocket and giving money, fine. But if you can get involved more, all the better. And read about things, talk about things. And it just builds up a growing awareness. If, like, if you can put that on a much greater scale in terms of the more millions of people around the world realise the importance of not only tropical rainforests, but you've only got to look at Siberia, what's happening there. You know um, the carbon loss through you know through global warming, um, methane out. Yet yeah, the way that's being policed and the deforestation there going on in a dreadful way at the moment. 
you know so it's not just forest but it's all sorts of habitats like that which are vital vital you know um vital in terms of human resources needing needing some of those sources of um uh materials but also just an existence of, of species you know it's dreadful so um oh, yeah. so going back to sum all that up um the involvement of people at whatever small level of understanding and education that is a very positive thing and ultimately it's the only tool we've got really you know. It is indeed. Well, hopefully this will reach as many people as we can get it to, and they'll um, they'll enjoy it and take a bit of um, a bit of consideration to other people and start talking about it a little bit more. Because, as you said, talking about it is the the start. It's the start of everything. Getting people talking and discussing yeah. topics such as conservation. Yeah. Just final question for Yoshin. Final question. It's just a question I'm going to ask all the guests. Is what is your favourite animal that you've like? Because John, John, we know John's got quite a few. John's yeah. got quite a few favourite animals going on in the Lebanese Highlands. But what's yours and why? Yeah, to, um, actually, it was quite easy to, to think of it. Um, before I let you know, I mean, when I went to my first rainforest, I've only been to two. One was in, well, one holiday was, was you know, in, in Costa Rica. And I think the monkeys were actually amazing because you, you don't always see them that closely they're hidden and then you suddenly see, see them on the branches of the sort of four different species but it for me it has to be the um the bannerins uh, I don't know how they pronounce it um it's a beautiful bird it's as far as it's endemic isn't it to Cameroon and, and it's not just in the Libyan islands but it's it's extremely rare um and I know there are there are other species in, in, in Africa, but this, is, this particular species is, is extremely rare and, and endemic. And also, I suppose another factor is that it's, I understand it's got a hugely, very loud voice. And the call can be heard you know, right across the forest. And I think John was sure that he heard it on his first visit there. He's been twice, I think, to Cameroon. Yeah, he uh, has. And he, he, he mentioned it himself. Funny enough, when I was doing my literature review, he was talking about them and was interested in me using them in my literature review he gave me you know what he's like he gave me loads of different animals and I was like these are all my favorites and this is why and he, he was yeah. he was in development talking about them so yeah, yeah. But, just, just just about the the sounds of the forest my very first night in, a, in an eco lodge um, in, in Costa Rica um we actually went there by boat because you couldn't drive cars there you had to have a about a two-hour journey down a river to get to this place <laughs> It's near the sea, in the mosquito area as well, which is a bit of a worry. Um, but first time I heard howler monkeys, and, and I'd heard they, they sound like wolves. It's, and it's always about half an hour before dawn, so just for that sort of start. And it sounds like a pack of wolves. It's terrifying, you know, really. So sound <laughs> in, 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 a, in a rainforest is an extraordinary sensation, um, extraordinary feeling. So I think this bird, you know, it's got the loud call. But obviously, um, I don't try and think too much about the species. I mean, obviously, we use we had discussion of shall we, what should we call the project, um, and we we went for the Cross River Gorilla because obviously that's the um, it is extremely rare as we all know um, and endangered, and it captures people's imagination. 
but it's just representative of, as we said before, thousands of diverse, deserving species in the system. None are more important than any other, really, as we know, they all depend on each other for many regrets. So um, the label of it, uh, habitat, really, is the thing that I think about, really. I don't really, the gorilla is fantastic to find out any information, you know, even building up more data on the populations yeah. and so forth, because very little is known. Um, but really, it's, it's, it's the whole environment, which is yeah. the bit of all. Big thank you to Dr. Oshi McNamara for joining us today. And for all of you, I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you join us again the next time for our next episode.